Hello, and welcome back to Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion. For our first interview of the fourth season, we talked to Dr. Jake Turner of Cornell University talking about his work finding the first ever hints of a magnetic field surrounding a planet in an alien solar system. Kind of cool, huh? But first, we examine an unusual radio signal coming from our closest stellar neighbor that looks like it may have been created by an intelligent species. The question is who? Next, we take a look at something you might not expect. 2020 was, in fact, the shortest year in decades. We will also head out to the Red Planet, where we're going to take a look at the largest canyon in the solar system in unprecedented detail. Astronomers with the Breakthrough Listen Project have detected a signal coming from the direction of Proxima Centauri, the closest star to Earth other than the Sun, and this signal seems to have an intelligent origin. These waves, called BLC-1, were found to have an extremely narrow bandwidth, which is usually the sign of an, of an artificial signal. These radio waves also come from just a small portion of the sky, suggesting a distant source. Before you break out the champagne, it is still very possible that BLC-1 comes from an unknown source right here on Earth. Researchers on the project are due to release a pair of papers on their analysis of the signal in the coming months. It may not have felt like it, but 2020 was in fact the shortest year in decades. A new study of the rotational rate of our world shows the Earth sped up a small amount during the year. This effect, caused by changes in atmosphere, oceanic currents, and movements in the core of the Earth, usually slows down our planet, leading to the addition of leap seconds every 30 months or so. Now, some researchers are wondering if standard time should lose a second, a negative leap second, if you will, to make up for the effect. The largest canyon in the solar system, the Mariner Valley on Mars, is seen in stunning images recently released by the European Space Agency. This valley stretches ten times longer than the Grand Canyon on Earth, and it is several times deeper. Researchers believe the movement of magma under the surface of Mars billions of years ago may have cracked the surface, releasing subsurface water, forming the canyon. Next up, we talk to Dr. Jake Turner from the Carl Sagan Institute at Cornell University. We will discuss his work finding the first signs ever seen of a magnetic field surrounding a planet in another solar system. 
Looking deep into the universe, we see backwards in time. And the oldest light in the universe holds secrets to how everything around us will, one day, end. Meanwhile, stars, planets, and galaxies dance in an intricate ballet, occasionally giving birth to life. We are fledgling species, just beginning to visit other worlds. We are a way for the universe to understand itself. The Cosmic Companion strives to bring the universe down to Earth, and we depend on your help to make it happen. For information on subscriptions and ways to donate to this program, please visit thecosmiccompanion.net. Thank you. We're happy to be joined by Dr. Jake Turner. He is from the Carl Sagan Institute at Cornell University and recently did some work uncovering uh, radio waves from an exoplanet for the first time. Welcome to the show, Jake. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about how radio waves form around planets and what made this particular target, Tau Brutus B, so interesting? Yeah, of course. So what we're observing are, is basically the particles from the solar wind of the star the planet's orbiting hit the magnetic field of the planet um, and they gyrate around the magnetic field. And that gyration is what actually causes uh, the light we see. And in the case of our observations, the, this light is in the radio. Um, so we're actually seeing, you know, electrons gyrated around a magnetic field um, on this planet. And these electrons are actually the same electrons that uh, will continue down the magnetic field line next to create the aurora that we see, for example, on, on the solar system planets. Um, so it's actually a pretty cool mechanism that we're, we're observing. Um, and what was the second question again? Sorry. Oh, uh, just now, why did you choose uh, this particular exoplanet to study? Yeah. So we, what we, made it such an interesting target? Sure. So we were we're studying uh, Tau Bodies B, and what made this uh, the the best target to study is it's a really massive planet. It's a very massive hot Jupiter. It orbits its star, you know, in about uh, three days, three point three days. Uh, and so because it's so close to its host star, it's, been, it's being bombarded by a lot of electrons from the, the solar wind. Uh, and so a lot of electrons means there's going to be a lot of uh, radio light that, to look for. Uh, and so we, you know, one, one of my uh, co-authors uh, co on the paper, John Mateus Gressemeyer, who's actually my co-PhD advisor, uh, he did a calculation of all the known planets out there that we know about um, and found, you know, and calculated uh, what we would expect to see, the frequencies we would expect to see, and also how bright they were. Uh, and this was one of the best targets out there, just because it's so so massive and so close to its host star. So what do we know about that planet so far? What is it like? Um, well, it's a, it's a very exotic hot Jupiter, right? It's really hot. It's about 15,000 Kelvin. Uh, we know that it has like carbon uh, uh, monoxide in its atmosphere, I think a few other molecules as well. Um, and so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a normal hot Jupiter. And now we, we with these radio observations, uh, we, we now think it actually has a magnetic field, um, which, which is really cool. And so with, with that knowledge of its magnetic field, we can start to learn more about the interior structure of the planet. Um, so that's going to be the next step in, in this research. That's pretty fascinating. And so how would the magnetic field of uh, Tau Bertis be compared to, let's say, the largest magnetic field we have in 
this solar system, which is Jupiter. Yeah, so it's actually quite comparable. It's a little little lower than Jupiter, uh, but it's very comparable to Jupiter's magnetic field. So, um, so yeah, it's it's it is still it is quite large compared to Earth's magnetic field, for example. But yeah, it is comparable to Jupiter's, and this is what some of the theoretical predictions were predicting. This again, it is slightly bigger than Jupiter. Um, and so, you know, there were some uncertainties in the predictions, but they, they seem to be uh, lined up exactly what we found, so. Mm -hmm. And you did these observations from the, from LOFAR, a really unique radio instrument in the Netherlands. Can you tell us a little bit about, about LOFAR and the technology used to do this study? Sure, yeah. So LOFAR, as you said, is a telescope in Europe. It's um, we only use the core of the telescope um, in the Netherlands. So actually there are parts of the telescope that are spread all across Europe, uh, but we only use the core. And uh, we're using a low band antenna. So we're actually observing the lowest frequencies you can observe from the ground, um, about from 10 to 70 megahertz. And um, yeah, so this telescope is just a, a bunch of dipoles um, spread across a many kilometer area. If you've ever seen a picture of it, it's actually on, it's actually surrounded by a, a a moat, you know, it's kind of interesting looking telescope. And it's a bunch of dipoles. Um, I think there's 256 of them, if I remember correctly, spread across this area. And we each one in, works independently and they all observe the sky at the same time. Um, and then eventually we use a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, supercomputers to analyze all the data together. So you compare all the data you're getting from the sky and also from Earth and from, you know, radio signals from humans you analyze that all together and you try to like, you know, actually see the signals from space instead of seeing the signals from, from humans. Uh, and so it's a lot of it is like using the supercomputers because we're, we're getting observations, you know, every few milliseconds um, across a really wide uh, range of frequencies uh, with good resolution. So it's a lot of data. And so it, it requires the supercomputers to analyze it all, uh, to crunch it all, and also to phase it. Again, we're, each telescope is observing in the, independently and then eventually we phase all the, the, the data together to get really good sensitive uh, observations so we can actually see these signals from these really far away planets. Uh, and um, this was, you know, this provides us uh, our first hints at magnetic fields around exoplanets which have been theorized for a while. It, yeah. Wouldn't make sense. I mean, you know, the laws of physics and chemistry are going to be the same throughout the universe. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about the search for magnetic fields, what we've learned about them, and how this could help in that in that research? Yeah, of course. And so again, this is the first hint. Um, we're still we still want to confirm this detection. Uh, and people have been looking for radio emission from exoplanets for a long time, actually since the 1970s. Uh, and so they used every radio telescope that was available to them. And kind of just, you know, before even exoplanets were known, uh, they started searching. And then once exoplanets were discovered, they actually started searching individual systems. Uh, and so a lot of people have been interested in this for a while. They knew, you know, it was uh, it, from what we learned in the solar system that it might be happening outside the solar system. Um, and so, yeah, this is the first hint. Um, there are other ways to detect uh, magnetic fields, uh, such as like through transit observations uh, and possibly, you know, auroral observations, but those actually have a lot of false positives. So there's other things that can create them. 
Um, and so we believe radio observations is the, is the best technique. And that's actually why we did that in this paper. But other parts of my, my PhD research, we looked at several other techniques um, and it, did, it didn't seem like it, 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 it would work as well. Uh, and so we do think this is definitely the best technique to do this. And uh, again, comparing this to the solar system, we've known of Jupiter, we've discovered Jupiter's radio emission in the 1950s and also were able to constrain its magnetic field using those observations. And we're able to figure out what the interior stru structure of Jupiter was before we sent probes there. Um, so it's been a, a really well-established technique that, you know, with this with this new telescope low far, it's just so sensitive that now we can actually do this for these faraway planets. And how are we able to, what are we able to deduce about the magnetic field of exoplanets uh, by looking at the radio waves? Yeah, so again, yeah, yeah, the first thing is we know it, it exists. The next thing is we know is strength. Um, and so the frequency that we observe at tells us directly what the strength of the magnetic field is. Uh, the maximum frequency of the emission we see directly corresponds to the maximum field strength of the planet. Um, and so we can get a really good constraint on these. Uh, and then uh, again, as a, and then we can also potentially see variations in the magnetic field over time. Uh, if we have observations over time, we've done that in the solar system. Uh, we can even potentially detect exomoons. If an exomoon's orbiting in this magnetic field, we can detect exomoons. We can also figure out the rotation period of the planet by, by observing the radio emission over a period of time. We can actually figure out the rotation period of the planet. Again, people have done this with Jupiter and the solar system planets before they send probes there. Um, so we can start learning a bunch of other stuff about uh, the, the planet. And uh, Tau Buddy's B does not transit. Um, and so with these radio observations, uh, combined with the radio velocity observations, we could potentially also constrain its inclination better. Uh, and so learn more about actually what is the exact mass of the planet instead of what's the approximate mass of the planet. Um, and then again, we can learn about uh, how the magnetic field protects the planet's atmosphere. Um, and how, you know, whether its atmosphere is escaping or not. Uh, we think that's very important in terms of a magnetic field protecting the atmosphere of these planets. And again, as, as I said, we, we now, if, if, there, the, if the magnetic field is there, we know there's a dynamo in the interior of the planet. So there's some kind of metal that is creating this uh, magnetic field for, for Earth. That's a, uh, an, a liquid iron core. For uh, Jupiter, that's metallic hydrogen. Uh, and so we eventually have to do these calculations for Tau Buddy's V. We haven't done those yet, uh, but you know, us or another team will probably do that in the future, uh, and we'll learn something that you know, something very interesting probably about this planet. And this is really one of the only ways you can actually learn about the interior structures of, of planets that are very far away. It's fascinating, and I, you know, this might be a little tangential, but you know, the two most familiar magnetic fields. Um, are dri are both driven by dynamos, the you know metallic hydrogen, you know core of uh, Jupiter and the core of the Earth. Um, but are have, are those that are when you look at exoplanets, are those the two models you expect to see most? A rocky planet with you know a metallic core or a gas giant or, or are there other possibilities there are a lot a lot of models out there so uh, the modeling part of this uh, a part of this field is very unconstrained so there are a bunch of models out there that fit all the data we have currently before we detected their magnetic fields and so this is actually one of the you know, reasons why we're observing is because from just the base just looking at our solar system and trying to scale it 
to exoplanets, uh, it's not obvious uh, what we'll find. And so that's kind of why we're exploring. We're trying to find, and exoplanets is always, you know, always giving us new insights into how planets work. You know, we didn't even know how Jupiter's existed before 1995. Um, and so it, it's possible we can find something that we didn't even expect. Um, that's that's the hope actually that we that we find something interesting and new. Yeah, I I actually find that to be one of the one of the greatest things about science. Yeah, definitely. Just just the wonder and the possibilities. You're listening to Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, a podcast focused on making science accessible to everyone, including weekly interviews with groundbreaking scientists. We depend on support from fans like you, helping us bring science news and education directly to listeners around the globe. Visit us at thecosmiccompanion.net forward slash support for information on subscriptions and other ways you can help support this program. Subscriptions start at just 99 cents a month. Show your love of astronomy and space exploration by visiting thecosmiccompanion.net forward slash support today. Hi there, this is James Maynard from The Cosmic Companion. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, our podcast is put out through Anchor FM. If you've ever wanted to have to your own podcast, they're a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, Anchor gives you a chance to uh, put get your podcast together with all the tools in one place. And um, you can do it from your phone or a computer. And they're going to help you get distributed out to all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. And so best of all, Anchor's all free. How cool, huh? Anyway, if you want to check it out, go download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Clear skies. Um. And so when you're looking at these radio waves, you know, your paper talked about, um, and you mentioned how uh, it still needs to be confirmed that, you know, this, these were caused by stellar winds. But you also, there's also a um, suggestion that uh, solar, solar flares or stellar flares may have been the cause. How are you able to, um, to determine that this was likely you know, the stellar winds were likely the cause. Yeah, again, as we're, we're very cautious in the paper that there is this uncertainty. Um, and so stellar flares have never been observed from the host star of Tau, of, of Tau Booty's beam. Um, and so we don't think it's very likely based off the, the, the host star's type and, and, other, and other scalings that we, we looked at, but that possibility is still there. Um, and so the, we're actually ongoing observations right now to follow this up. Me and my team are, are we already have taken observations or continuing taking those observations. Uh, and the main thing we're looking for is um, periodicity in the signal. So basically, the, we, we believe the mission that we see is beam. So it, once the planet orbits around again, it should point back at Earth and then it points away and it points back. Um, and so we're hoping that we see that multiple times. And we're also looking at different wavelengths with, uh, again, part of our observations. Tess is looking at uh, the, the planet at the same time we're looking at in the radio. So if there's any flares from the star, we might be able to see that in the test data. We have a few other wavelengths we're looking at as well. So we're trying to just you know cover all the bases in terms of if there is a solar flare, uh, we should be able to see that in, in different object, different wavelengths, um, as well as look for this periodicity. So 
that's that's the main way we're going to be able to distinguish the, the, two, the two possibilities. That's great. And of course, here on Earth, we depend on the magnetic field of our planet to protect life um, from potentially dangerous radiation. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how studying magnetic fields in around exoplanets uh, could affect our search for life in the universe? Yeah. Um, so again, this is the first step. Again, as we were saying, that we're studying this big hot Jupiter planet. Um, and we have a, you know, we have a survey that we're going to be doing from the ground in the next few years of more of these type of planets. And so hopefully we detect more signals. And with this knowledge, we can eventually apply what we learn from these hot Jupiters to smaller planets. Um, we can use, you know, both from the theory side and also how you do these observations. Um, and the, so the model, the models that we develop and also the, uh, the codes and everything like that. Um, can hopefully be applied to study Earth-like planets in the future. This will have to act. This will have to be from space. Um, so you can't actually observe the magnetic fields of Earth-like planets from the ground because the the radio light is actually blocked by our atmosphere. So you have to go from space. We're hoping to eventually put a telescope on the far side of the Moon, uh, which would be really cool. And so yeah, again, we're going to be looking for these. Hopefully, in the future, you know, many many uh, years from now, we can have a radio telescope on the far side of the Moon. Look for the magnetic fields of these Earth-like planets, and if we detect them, as you as you mentioned, um, this may be important for life because the magnetic field is, is a is a force field around the planet that protects it from all these energetic particles that are coming from its its host star, and also cosmic rays that are either coming from the host star or even the galaxy. Uh, and so we think it's it's pretty important. There's still some uncertainty on how important it is. So this is a very active field of research. Uh, there's papers every week, every month about this. Um, again, it's it's very unconstrained in terms of the observations. So we're hoping to get observations in the next coming decades for that. Uh, but it definitely seems to be important for Earth. And for example, we observe atmosphere escaping from Mars because it doesn't have a magnetic field. Uh, yeah, so we think it's going to be an important ingredient. It's not going to be the only ingredient, of course, but it definitely is going to be an important one for sure. It's fascinating. So while we all sit around waiting for for funding to build a giant radio telescope on the moon. Um, <laughs> what's what's next for you? What, what's, what are you researching? Yeah, next? so the next thing, the next step is where we want to confirm the signal. So as I said, we have a big survey with multiple telescopes, actually not just LOFAR, but a few other telescopes across Europe and actually in the US to confirm the signal. That's kind of the, the next step. Um, and then after that, we're going to be doing a big survey with a, a new telescope in France called NANUFAR of dozens of exoplanets uh, that are all, you know, really close to their stars, hot Jupiters, uh, to try to do the same same thing. And, uh, and so the hope is we're going to get more detections and, and start learning more about the populations of these, these planets. Um, and so that's like the next, next you know, next five years of, of, my, of my research is focused on that. And then hopefully after that, we can, we might even have other radio telescopes, like again, LOFAR is being upgraded to LOFAR 2.0 eventually sometime in the next decade, possibly, and then SKA will be coming out, which will be really useful for, for exoplanet uh, studies. Also like the FAST telescope, which is in China, this really large Arecibo-like telescope could be, in, could be an, another interesting uh, area of research to look at. And then again, hopefully we, we get some, some missions in space. Maybe we'll start with a few probes. Maybe we'll start with a, a, you know, a, a lunar array, depending on what happens in the Takedo survey and funding and stuff. So there's, it's definitely, there's definitely a, a bright future 
for sure in this field. And there's also several telescopes in America that are looking for the same thing, uh, LWA, the Low Frequency Array. Um, and uh, California is looking for this from, through Caltech. And so that's completely independent of all the research I'm doing. So there's definitely other groups that are very, very interested in this. Super. That was great. Well, thank you so much, Jake. It was great having you on the show. Yeah. And that was Dr. Jake Turner from Cornell University. Join us each week on Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion as we bring space and astronomy news together with groundbreaking scientists directly to viewers and listeners around the globe. Subscribers to our VIP newsletter see every episode of this show a day before the general public. It's almost like knowing the future. Not really. We depend on support from viewers just like you. For ways to help support this program, including VIP subscriptions, please visit thecosmiccompanion.net forward slash support. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and keep your wonder alive. If you enjoyed this episode of Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, please download and share the episode on YouTube, Facebook video, or any major podcast provider. For more details on space and astronomy news, please visit thecosmiccompanion.com or thecosmiccompanion.net.